Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 5-9 says this, Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into glorious, into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated. Somebody say co-seated. As one with Christ. Come on, there's room at the table for us. Amen? And uh, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite riches of his grace and kindness which was shown up, uh, showered upon us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved by faith. Nothing you did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. Somebody say love gift. So no one who? 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 Ah, y'all didn't, y'all see, y'all didn't say it like you believe it. Who? That means even you. Hey, I felt that in my spirit. Amen. Bless the Lord. Uh, So no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is what? Never. Somebody say never. Never. A reward for good works or human striving. Come on, somebody. I could just drop the mic and walk out. Ain't even got to preach. That's all, you know. Uh, but that's our topic scripture for this whole series. We're doing a series called Grace Uprising. If you're just tuning in for the first time online, you should go back and watch uh, the previous weeks. We have uh, unpacked a couple weeks, and uh, really Jason started at the end of the last series. Uh, but we've unpacked grace in, in a lot of ways, and so we're into it now. This is week three or, or week four, however you look at it, of this series. And I'm excited about what God's going to say today. Amen. So today, we're continuing our series, Grace Uprising, and we've been talking about the need for grace in our society. I don't know about y'all, but I know I needed grace. Come on. I know that when God found me, I was messed up, toe up from the flow up, make you want to throw up because I couldn't grow up. Amen. Got them bars. Y'all don't know about that. I should throw out some albums. I'm telling you, I was all the way, all the way messed up. What's this? The songwriter said, I'm all the way up. I was all the way messed up. Come on, somebody. And, and God saw me and still had a plan for my life. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that God didn't just see me. He already knew me before I was in the womb. Y'all going to make me preach today. Y'all, y'all don't y'all get quiet on me in the house of God. He, was, he already knew me when I was in the womb. He already knew what he had a plan for me. The Bible says he had worked out all these things before even time began. God had a plan worked out for my life. Amen. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Lord said, I have a plan. I have good thoughts towards you. I have good will towards you. I have something in the atmosphere that I want to do with your life. But, somebody say but. But. 
sin entered the world. And when sin came on the scene, amen, sometimes we get off track. Come on, somebody. And this is what we land on today because when sin entered the world, God was not scrambling to figure out a solution. He already had a solution. Come on, somebody. But, but God had to deal with mankind's sin issues. Amen. You may have to just restart that whole program because these lights are being distracted. I rebuke you. Come on, somebody. So the reality is, is when sin came on the scene, God had to deal with our sin issue. And there was a few ways that he dealt with them. There was a few things he did to deal with our sin issues. Amen. And a lot of them came through covenants. Somebody say covenants. Every time I see the word covenants, I think about um, uh, Fred Price. <laughs> Y'all know about anything about Fred Price? He was a preacher out in L.A. He, and his show would open and it was called Evidence. And uh, his show would open, Evidence, do, 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 Evidence, do, 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 do you have enough evidence? Every time I say covenants, I think, Covenants, do, 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 Covenants, do, do, do you have enough covenants? Uh, <clears throat> Lord. Y'all catch that later. So God had to deal with mankind's issues, and a lot of it came through covenants. Now, you got to understand, covenants in that time for those people in context was normal. They understood covenant language. They understood covenant talk. They, they reasoned and, re uh, and, and, and had relationships with each other through covenants. They understood it. The way we understand covenants is not the way they understood covenants. Come on, somebody. If you brought, broke a covenant in that time, you could be banished from your family. You could be stoned. You could be doing all kinds of stuff. Come on. And that's how they approached the gospel. That's how God had to deal with their sin issues because they were, in fact, sinful, but they needed something to tell them how to get over it. Amen? And so what we see in relations to all of this is when God has to deal with man's issues and man's sin, a covenant comes on the scene. So what is a covenant? We're going to talk about a biblical covenant, which is we, so we need, a, we need a, a, a working definition for us all, okay? So we, we got a starting place. The conditional, a biblical covenant is the conditional promises made, somebody say conditional, Promises made to humanity by God. These are a uh, warm front. PRVL warm. Yeah, there we go. Bless the Lord. Conditional promises made to humanity by God as revealed in Scripture. The agreement between God and the Israelites in which God promised to protect them if they kept, somebody say kept, his law. And they were faithful to him. This is what a biblical covenant was for that time. This is how they would have understood it. It was conditional. God made promises. I will do these promises if you do this. Um, it's hard to imagine 
God was like that. Amen? But that's what he did. And as we work on the covenants, I want to I bring your attention. There's a lot of covenants made in the Bible. I want to bring your attention to five different ones that we can uh, peer in on today that, that, that lends to where we're headed. Somebody said, we're going to land this plane soon. Come on, somebody. Uh, who did God make a covenant with? Let's talk about five different ones, right? God made a covenant with Noah first. Uh, God entered into a formal relationship with Noah and all the creatures. And he entered into this, uh, this relationship, and he made the promise that I'll never drown you all again. Right? Despite your evilness, I will promise you that I won't flood the earth again and kill every last one of y'all. Thank God for that. <laughs> Thank God for that covenant, right? Because <laughs> Lord knows right now, God will drown us all. Amen. <laughs> Y'all got to go. Open the floodgates of the Atlantic Ocean and let them drown. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to go. <laughs> but God said, I'm not going to do that to y'all again. Come on, somebody. Hey, can you imagine if Noah was around today and started building a big old boat telling everybody that God said he was going to drown or he was going to flood the earth? We all be looking at him like they looked at him in the Bible like, you crazy, dude. And thank God that, you know, some, we got some modern day Noahs right now that keep saying that God going to kill us all. Come on. But I'm here to tell you, God made a, he made a promise. He made a decree. He made a covenant with Noah. He said, and all living creatures at that time, I'm not going to do this again. You have to understand, this is after, this is after God, uh, uh, after the fall of man in the garden. This is after the Cain and Abel situation. This is after all the things that have happened, and if you look at scripture, evil have so quickly filled the earth, and, and, and it was just rampant. And God stepped in and said, the only way to stop all this evil is to drown everybody. You ever had that thought in your head, man, will we ever see a day where we won't see so much evil? Maybe you don't have those kind of thoughts. Will we ever see a day where we don't see wars and we don't see fighting and we don't see all these things? Will there ever be a day where I don't have to worry about what somebody is saying about me and what they think about me and if I'm doing something right or wrong or whatever? Is there ever a day, a time that I'm going to step into the, the uh, wake up in the morning and, I, and I'm just going to have a real good day and ain't nobody going to get on my last nerve? Come on, somebody. Have you ever felt like that? God felt like that. And then God said, I'm going to drown everybody. I'm just saying, I'm kidding. So he made a covenant that he would never again destroy them. He would never drown everybody. And that uh, rather that he preserved the world, listen, as he worked towards fulfilling the promise that he made in Genesis 3.15. What's the promise in Genesis 3.15? It was the promise of a Messiah. It was the promise of Jesus. Amen. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. You telling me that in the first book of the Bible, we were already talking about grace? Yes. 
in the first uh, uh, covenant made with mankind, we see a picture of God's grace? Yes. Come on, somebody. I won't destroy you again, even though you're evil. I'm still going to send you a savior. I felt that. The next covenant was with Abraham. Somebody say, Abraham. Abraham, God entered into a redemptive partnership with Abraham. And he promised Abraham a huge family that would inherit a promised land, promised piece of land in Canaan, and will bring universal blessing to all humanity through his family. What does that sound like? Grace. Sounds like a covenant of grace. Sounds like God saying you don't deserve it, but I'm going to bless everybody through you, Abraham. He, he approaches Abraham. First of all, he, uh, this is what I love about God. He, he finds Abraham and he meets him where he's at. You know, we always want to tell people to come to church and get out of your sinful life. And come in. And Abraham was a stargazer. And guess what? He's gazing at the stars and God's like, hey, Abraham. <laughs> is that you? Yes. He met Abraham when he was there. He talked to him through the mechanism that he already knew. Amen. He spoke Abraham's language and he made a covenant with him and said, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I am going to bless all of mankind through you, Abraham. Well, God, I'm old. You know I ain't got no children, right? I'm pushing a hundred. I'm going to make you great, Abraham. Guess what? I'm going to re-energize you, buddy. You're going to have some cheerings. And your wife, too. And then he changes their name. He marked the covenant with a name change. Listen, he made this covenant, and uh, it was promises like this. It was one for offspring, one, two for land, and three for universal blessing. This was the covenant made with Abraham. And then he made a covenant with Moses. Somebody say covenant with Moses. One of our most popular ones, right? One of the ones we get most tied up in. One of the ones that the church has built most of their religion around. Isn't it interesting that we would rather build a covenant and build a thought and our religious beliefs around a covenant that provides a list than a covenant that provides promises. Oh, it's quiet in the house of the Lord. Maybe they, they amen to me online. Because sometimes, listen, I have learned that people, uh, you know what somebody told me a long time ago? The lowest form of maturity is when you have to be inspired all the time. The lowest form of the maturity is when I got to tell you over and over what to do, how to do it, when to do it. That's the lowest. That's, you know what? If a boss is hires somebody and they got to constantly tell them how to do something, that, how many of you know that person ain't going to have a job very long? Come on, somebody. And this is what the humanity was. We could not for ourselves do what we needed to do. We needed God to constantly tell us how to accept his promises. So in church, we have built whole systems of religions based on not on two covenants of promise, but one covenant of list. Work. God, tell me what to do. How, and it's easy. Though. It is easy for me. You know, I, I listen, I, I'm, I'm talking to myself. Somebody say, I'm talking to myself. 
I got that old grandma I'm talking to myself. Come on. I am. Because it's easy for me. It's, it would be easier for me for somebody to hand me a list and say, do all these things and you're going to be good with God. I would love that life. Come on, somebody. Tell me what I can and I can't do and I'll be fine. Don't tell me I'm free because I don't know how to process freedom when I've been bound so long. Amen. So he makes a covenant with Moses. God rescues Israel from slavery. Listen, they were in slavery for a long time, right? And they were in Egypt, and he promised to make them their own, his own treasured possession. And he said, I'm going to make you holy, and I'm going to set you apart as a nation. He promised that he would personally dwell in their midst and bring them into the promised land that he had. Listen, listen, the promised land that he had already promised. Right? And he, uh, he promised that he would be their God and that Israel would be his people and that they would be a kingdom of priests and mediate his goodness and glory to all the nations. Listen, he wasn't saying anything different than he had already said to Moses, I mean to Abraham. He was just talking to the group of people. He's saying the same thing. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to do everything I can. And all the people of the world is going to be blessed through you. Come on. This is what he said to Abraham. And he tells them, listen, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a kingdom, uh, 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 kingdom of priests and, and all this stuff. I'm going to do all these things. And all these things are going to come through. You're going to mediate my goodness to the world. Come on. They had a huge role in redemptive glory. But this was a conditional covenant. It was a conditional covenant of grace. Why? Because every person up until this point had kept failing. And God said, obviously you don't know how to operate in freedom, so now I got to give you grace with conditions. Let me help you, Israel. I'm going to do all these things, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to keep the terms of these ten commandments. Somebody say 10. God gave them 10 commandments. God made a covenant based on 10 commandments. When they got done, it was 613. I'm going to stop here for a minute and just let you know. Even if God gave you a list, it'll never be enough. Because we as mankind, we are selfish and we need to put our own spin on everything. Always quiet in the house. Y'all got to talk back to me. Come on, come on, somebody. Listen, listen. He gave them 10 commandments. They ended with 613. And I love God. This is what I love about God. He's like, okay, if you want another one, you go right ahead. We go, okay. Well, I, I, we go. 613 of these bad boys. The 10 was a crushing weight. The 10 is very well. Listen, if we look at the Ten Commandments, it's the very basis of human morality. Being a good person. Come on, somebody. 
But we can't just operate and be like that. We need 10. Somebody said 10. They have 613. God promised to bring blessings if they followed his commands, but curses if they disobeyed. And most, most notably, he promised to give them, to make them exiles into foreign lands if they didn't keep his commandments. And guess what they did? They got the Ten Commandments, and they went buck wild. Amen. Asked God for it, prayed about it. We want this, and God gave it to them, and guess what they did? Still didn't listen. Because you'll never be able to keep the weight of the crushing law. Amen? Got two more to deal with. There was the covenant with David. After all this has happened, they, they act, you know, children of Israel just acting a straight up, acting a fool. Come on, somebody acting, just acting up. Then God comes and makes a covenant with David. He, God established David as king over Israel because they were begging for a king. <laughs> they were begging for a king, so he gave him. Was it Samuel? Yeah, yeah. Saul, Saul, King Saul. They, God give us a king. Then Saul come on and say, Lord, we don't want Saul. Begging for a king. Because and, and, God was not enough for them. They needed a king to judge them, to tell them how and what to do. They could never accept that God was powerful enough to speak to their hearts and tell them who they are and what they needed to do. Amen. So they begged him for a king. He gave him Saul, and then they, then Saul was crazy. Amen. Yes. Everybody with the name Saul for some reason in the Bible were a little over the edge. Paul was Saul before he became Paul, but he was killing Christians. You know what I'm saying? He kept the law to the to the letter, and the Bible says that he was he was literally like, if you messed up. Paul was going to show up. Saul showed up on your front door. Amen. They told me you were out here sweeping your sidewalk the other day on Sunday. You know what time it is. Come on out here. Got these stones. It's time to go. Kiss your family. <laughs> Modern day Saul, Fred. Hey, 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 hey. They told me you were on your John Deere. Go tell your kids bye. You love them. We got these stones down the street. <laughs> mm. God established David as king of Israel and promised and made promises uh, to make his name great. He told David he'll give him a royal kingdom which in which promises made to Abraham and Israel will be fulfilled through his lineage. Listen, still saying it's going through the line. God ain't really changing. He's still making his promises the same promises. He's holding up his end of the bargain. The conditions are changing because of the people. But he's holding his up his end of the bargain. God said that he's going to, listen, he's going to raise up a descendant from David's line. <laughs> he's going to raise up a descendant from David's line who will have a kingdom that will last forever. This is the promise and the covenant he made with David. Amen? 
And he said, my love will never depart from you. It was still conditional, though. Still conditional because he, we couldn't hold up our end of the bargain. David and his descendants, uh, the, the conditions were that they must remain faithful to God. They must walk in the, uh, faithful to the covenant. And they had to lead the Israelites in obedience to those laws. David will make you king. I'm going to do all these things. But listen, bro, you got to get them folks under control. And there are conditional and unconditional elements to this covenant. But despite David's failure, God guaranteed that he would be faithful to his word. And provide someone from his lineage to sit on the throne forever. What is that? That is what we call grace. We're talking about the tale of two covenants, right? Yes, there's an old covenant, there's a new covenant, but the reality is the theme of it, of both, was grace. One was crushing, one was not. Then we get to the new covenant. Somebody say new covenant. The new covenant is the culmination of God's saving work for his people. He promised to make an everlasting covenant with his people. And in this promise, he said, I'm going to write the law on your heart. Somebody say heart. I'm going to give you complete forgiveness of sin. Somebody say complete And I'm going to give you the spirit, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to love and obey and to accomplish what I placed in your heart. Come on, somebody. And not only that, I'm going to give you a Messiah out of the deal. I'm going to give you a Messiah, and he's going to bring, and then when when all this is said, I'm going to bring you back to the land that I promised Abraham. This is the new covenant. This is what God says, and it's an eternal covenant. And this is where I want to land today because we got to talk about the old covenant versus the new covenant. Amen? And we're going to move through these quickly, but I believe God's going to talk to us in these next moments. We got to talk about the old covenant versus the new or better covenant. How you want to translate it and say it? It's totally up to you, but it's old versus new. Amen? And, and, and so we got to deal with these things. The old covenant. Uh, first thing was this. The old covenant was performance or works-based. The new covenant is faith and rest-based. Somebody say faith and rest-based. Galatians 3.10 through 11 says this, or 3.10 through 12 says, but if you rely on, uh, on works of keeping the law for salvation, you live under the law's curse. For it is clearly written, Utterly curses everyone who fails to practice every detail and requirement that is written in the law. 613 of them. Listen, you're cursed if you don't practice every detail. It's obvious that no one achieves the righteousness of God by attempting to keep the law. For it is written, the one who is in right relationship with God will live by faith. But keeping the law does not require faith. Keeping the law does not require faith. But self-effort, are you listening to me? 
Keeping the law doesn't require faith. It's self-effort. But for the law teachers, if you practice the principles of the law, you must follow all of them. Yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He observed the curse completely as he became a curse in our place. For it is written, any, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Jesus dissolved the curse from our lives so that in him all the blessings of who? Abraham. Come on, somebody. We got the same covenant. And God's given us the promise that he gave to Abraham. Even in this new covenant, he says, all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out upon Gentiles. And now through faith, we receive the, Holy, the promise of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Hear me. Listen to me. The old covenant was a works-based system. You had to work to get God's grace. You had to work. You had to meet all the conditions for God to be pleased with you. But the new covenant says, no, no, no. Jesus has done the work. It is time for you to take a seat and rest in knowing that the work is finished. Somebody say the work is finished. What does that mean? That means all the things that you think you got to do, all the stuff that you want to check off God says, no, I need you to take a seat because my conditions are not based on your performance any longer. Condition is based on me and the finished work that I have done. What, what, what are you talking about? Essentially, God made all these covenants and he said, y'all ain't gonna ever keep up your end of the bargain, so I'm gonna make a covenant with myself. Because there's only one person that can really uphold the end of the law. There's only one person that can uphold my requirements, and that is me. Some of y'all understand this very well because you're married to somebody that always has requirements. Come on, somebody. And really, the truth is there's only one person that can uphold their requirements, and that's them. It got quiet in the house. Lord, everybody like, oh. <laughs> All the men looking straight at me. <laughs> but that's how it is. And that's how it was with God. And listen, I'm sorry, your wife or your husband can't make a covenant with themselves and, and do all this. I, I wish they would. Amen. Hallelujah. But they can't and they probably won't. But God will make a covenant with himself. And he can make a covenant with himself. And he did make a covenant with himself. And he says, I need you to sit back and rest, buddy. Because you can't meet these requirements. I can You will never be able to do what I'm requiring of you. But I can. My son Jesus will. And he's going to do it. And I'm still going to punish him for your sins. Amen. The old covenant revealed and covered sin. The new covenant forgives sin. I'm going to tell you something. You need to read your book. If you ain't reading it, you need to read Captured by Grace. There's a whole section in the book about this where he talks about how over and over in the Old Testament, sin being covered, sin being covered. And then you get to the New Testament, it talks about sin being forgiven. Somebody say forgiven. Covered is like a blanket. When you think about something being covered, something being covered can be uncovered. Amen. But when you offer somebody forgiveness, amen, you can't unforgive them. Even though we think we can, we can't. If I offer you forgiveness, I am saying to you, I am releasing you from this debt forever for the rest of your life. It never has to come up again. I'm offering forgiveness. I forgive you. Amen? But if I say I'm going to cover your debt, 
at some point, there's an expectation that I'm going to come back to collect on what I covered. Amen. And God says, no, 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 I am not coming back to collect on what I covered. I have offered for Forgiveness. See, the old covenant, the old covenant was God coming back over and over to collect on what he covered. Galatians 3.19, uh, the first part of Galatians 3.19 says this. Why then was the law given at all? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. It revealed sin and it covered sin. And it was, it, was, it was exhausting because God had to come back and collect over and over on the debt and on the, you know what I'm saying? He would, he would cover the sin and then he would come back and say, I got I to gotta collect on this. All right, come on. I need you to do this over and over. And, and, and it was all exhausting. And then we get to the New Testament and we get to the New Covenant and God sends his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And when Jesus stands on the cross, dies on the cross, the Bible says just before he died, he, he hung his head. Uh, he, he looked up to heaven. He said, why have you forsaken me? Listen, God turned. Mm, listen, I'm telling you something. We think over and over that God turned his back on him, but he didn't. God, in that moment, Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy that was given in the Old Testament so the people that will understand this is the moment you've been praying, you've been waiting for, you've been fighting for, all of this stuff. I am now here to tell you to lay down your weapon, lay down your list, lay down your exhausted life, or whatever it may be, because right now I'm about to fulfill a prophecy that you heard ages and ages. Eli, Eli, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say that because God turned his back on him. He said it because he needed people to know that the promises of God are being fulfilled in your life right now in this moment. It may not look like it. You may not understand what's happening, but I'm here to tell you that I'm here in this moment to fulfill the covenant that was made with God. Why have you forsaken me? And the Bible says that he says, it is No, it's not the beginning. It is the end. And Jesus finished the work on the cross. And after this, we have forgiveness for sin. Complete forgiveness for sin. Amen? So the old covenant revealed and covered sin, the new covenant forgives sin. And listen, the old covenant was temporary, the new covenant is permanent. Galatians 3.19, part B was, it says, uh, you know, the part says that the promise to show people their sins, then it says, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the seed, the child who was promised. When God gave the law, he gave it first to his to angels. They gave it to Moses, his mediator, who then gave it to the people. It was temporary. Somebody said temporary. In the Old Testament, they had to have a mediator. They had to have a priest that would go before God. They would go in the temple. They would do all these things. It was work. It was all the stuff. People would bring this in, and they were around there, and it was penance, and it was all these things. And they would go over there. It was temporary. Every year, they had, listen, they built altars for sacrifices that had to happen on a continual basis. Why? Because it was meant to be temporary, not permanent. 
What am I hitting? What am I getting at? Some of us have made a permanent situation, a permanent lifestyle out of trying to please God through works when God told you clearly in the word it was only meant to be temporary. Well, I want to be like Jesus. I'm going to do all this stuff. And I've heard preachers say, if God is perfect, I can be perfect. If, he, if Jesus kept the law, I can do all this stuff. And let me tell you something. That is a terrible way to think about the gospel because you, ain't, you can't keep the law. Like You ain't Jesus, baby. You need Jesus. You ain't Jesus. That should go on a shirt. <laughs> you need Jesus. You ain't Jesus. Come on. I felt that in my spirit because some of us think we is Jesus and we ain't Jesus. Amen? It was meant to be temporary. It was only a, a, a quick fix. It was only, listen, some of us treat church like, mm. some of us have made church become our new covenant. Our, 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 mm. We get a temporary fix on Sunday, and then we don't have nothing going on in the week. You get what I'm saying? Oh, I feel good by myself today, you know? And then we, all throughout the week, nothing, 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 nothing. But let me hear you, let me tell you something. God is never, he never meant for it to be permanent. It was meant to be temporary. That's why they had the crushing weight of repeating sacrifices over and over and over. And some of us are, uh, we are, heavy because we keep on keep on keep on trying to accomplish God's will through works through performance and we beat ourselves up when we drop the ball and we and all sorts of things but I'm here to tell you it was never meant to be uh, permanent when Jesus comes on the scene the Bible says he said it is finished which means it can't be started again it can't be opened if I finish something and you restart something. See, where I work, if I finish something and they open up a new project with the same model number, I call that a new project. It's not to continue an old project. Once it's finished on my job board, guess what? I'm like, Jesus, it is finished. <laughs> Come on, somebody. If you need to reopen it, you're going to go through the same process that you went through the first time to reopen that job. Oh, let me speak to y'all from, from a, this is what we do, you know? So we have a two-week window. You gotta give us two weeks to be able to turn your job around. If you have a rush, there's other things for that. But this is what we do. And sometimes what I have is people who will, who will give us a job and then they'll wait six to eight months to a year, two years. And then they'll come like, oh, I wanna, I want to I wanna finish the job now. No, that job has been closed. It is finished. Come on, so I'm going to put that in my email signature. It is finished. It's been closed. It's finished. If you need to reopen it, you got to go through the same pro process to get it back on the books. And this is what happens with the old covenant. Amen? But Jesus says it's finished. Somebody say it's finished. Last thing is this, the old covenant put up barriers. The new covenant removes all barriers, welcoming all people. I want to end with this. Jesus tells a story over in Luke. Uh, it, well, we, we, we find Jesus in Luke. Um, as the Bible says that 
and Luke called him, he was hanging out with people who were outside the mainstream of Jewish society today. They wouldn't have been considered Christian. They would have been the people that we as church folk wouldn't hang with, you know? Uh, Luke called them tax collectors and sinners. Today you can, you know what the names are. Come on. Uh, the men who collected taxes, taxes were considered traitors because they were collecting money for the occupying Roman army. And the designation of sinners was used as a broad category for prostitutes, pimps, thieves, or any other unsavory characters. Amen? And we see this picture of Jesus hanging with these folks. I can actually see Jesus having a good time laughing, spending time with them. And as he's talking to them, these religious people, the Pharisees walk up. And they couldn't stand who Jesus was with. And they made this statement, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's a picture of grace. On one hand, you got the religious law saying they are not welcome. Don't do anything to spend time with them. We're not going to eat with them. But then you got Jesus saying, no, no, no. All are welcome to my table. Are you catching this? The old covenant put up barriers. The new covenant removes them. I want to end with this real quick. In Luke chapter 15, we go on and we find this story. Jesus begins to talk about a man who had two sons. One son was ready to spend his money. So he got his money, his share, and he left. And the Bible says that he went out and partied and did all the things, and he squandered all his money. Squandered it. Amen? And then there was a period of time where he, after he was done squandering his money, he came to himself. Somebody said he came to himself. Well, actually, when he came to himself, he was eating from where pigs eat. He came to himself. The Bible says he came to himself. And, and pig slop, right? Pig slop, whether it was swine food, whatever, I don't know what it is. Uh, but he was, he was doing that, and he said, my, my father's hired help gets treated better than this. And he says to himself, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell my dad. And, I'm, you know, he worked there. I can see him having this whole conversation on his way home. I'm going to tell my dad, I've sinned against you and the family, and I'm sorry, you know, because you all understand, during this time, this was a big no-no. Like, you don't do that. There's, this culture was a culture of shame and honor. You honored your father. You got honored. You did what was dishonorable. You got shame. You got kicked out of the family. You got removed. Come on, somebody. And this is what he was doing. So he was going back because he had brought shame on his family. He had brought shame to himself. He was dishonorable by all standards. And on his way back, he's walking back, and he's telling them, I'm going to I'm going to, uh, I'm going to talk to the, my father. I'm going to tell him, you know, all this stuff. Listen, I wrote this down because I want you to understand something. The start of true repentance is when we begin to really assess our conditions. Come on, somebody. 
The true, the true, and we're going to talk about repentance and all that stuff next week, and I'm, I'm excited about that. But the start of that is really when you really make a true assessment of where you are in your walk with God. Amen? Come on. I'm not all that who I'm supposed to be, and that don't mean God loves me any different or care, thinks I'm terrible and don't want to deal with me. But, but So he's on his way home, and he's walking back, and the Bible says that his father saw him from afar off. Saw him from afar off. And as he sees him, I can imagine this father getting excited, getting happy. Oh, my God, there's my son. Look here. Look, God, look, look. He's telling him, come here, come here, come here. Hey, y'all see that? Can you see what I see? Do you see what I see? That's my son on his way home. It paints a beautiful picture because we begin to recognize that his father was already looking for him. Amen. Oh, so Jesus is telling this story. He creates this ultimate center, and he's telling the story. And this guy comes home, and the Bible says that dad took off running and met him and, and, and hugged him. And he went to go into his whole spiel about forgiving, Lord, forgiving. And the father just ignored him, told his servants to go get a robe and get a ring and get new shoes because we got to replace all this stuff. Why? Because he's a son of the house. I don't care what you've done, where you've been. I don't care who you you did it with this is what the father's saying you come home and now you're in position you come home and because of your identity as a son in this house it doesn't matter what you've done it's what matters is who you are and I'm glad you're back with me because I can replace what you've done I can't replace who you are and so this this son comes and the father God, he runs and you guys, listen, you got to understand the context of all of this because for this man who's the, land, who's, the, who's the Lord of this land to run, to, he had to raise his robe and this would have been disgraceful. This would have been a whole problem for this culture because people didn't need to see their legs and they didn't show, they was very astute, but he got undignified because his son was running home. He said, I'll cast down every societal standard to let him know that he's loved unconditionally. I am for him and he runs to his son he embraces him he replaces the ring on his finger he replaces the robe on his back he replaces the shoes on his feet and then he says go kill the best fatty cow we gonna have a party cause my son is home and I love it. And I have to steal this from my friend, Matthew Hester, because he says grace will always throw a party for the sinner. Grace throws a party when you return home. Listen, when one comes home who's far away from Christ, grace throws a party. Somebody say throw a party. I know we be sitting in church like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Like, no, grace is there. I'm like, hey, hey. The angel's like, yo, crip walk, y'all. <laughs> I imagine Michael Kirk walking at the gate. Grace throws a party, and when he comes home, and guess what's happening? All this stuff is going out. There's a commotion. Everything's exciting. Everything's going down, and his father's excited. His sons are they're prepping the best, and they're about to throw a feast, and they're probably inviting everybody. It's about to be go down. There's about to be a feast and a party, and the oldest son is in the field. And he says, what's going on over there? 
Somebody say, what's going on? And then the father tries to reason with him, tells him, come in, he refuses to go into the father. Come on, somebody, listen, he refuses to go in, even though the father's calling him, because religion will always make you stand in your own pride and your own stuff. Come on, somebody, religion will always unintentionally make you disobey your father. Mm-hmm. And so he stands there, and he can't go in, and so the father comes out to the field to reason with him. Two problems here. He's in the field with the higher help. He's a son. He's out of place. That's a whole nother message. Come on, somebody. He's in the house, but he ain't really in place. Y'all, kid, y'all ain't missing that. He, he out in the field with the servants, acting like a slave when he's a... Come on, somebody. Whew. And he says to his father, why are you doing this for him? Don't you know this son of yours, forgetting that it's his brother... This son of yours squandered his money, did all these things. He messed up. And the father says he did, but he's home. We're rejoicing because he's home. I know he messed up. You know he messed up. The whole world knows he's messed up. Everybody on this, uh, on this property knows he's messed up, but he's home. Somebody say he's home. And we got to welcome him home. We're going to throw a party. And he does this. And the son is angry. Older brother. And he says these words. All these years I've been in your house. All these things I've been doing. I have never once messed up. I ain't never done this wrong. I ain't never done. I've kept the law. I haven't messed up. I had not dropped the ball and done this. And you ain't never thrown a party for me. And the father says, son, all that I have is yours. Your brother was lost and now he's home. This is why we're throwing the party. And I'll tell you this story. Why? Because it's important to understand we call this the prodigal son. They should have been the prodigal sons because both of them were in the house and both of them were lost. One was in the house, knew the father was around him, but didn't know him. Again, he was close to proximity, but he was out of place as a son. His identity was all screwed up. Come on, somebody. And religious ways and beliefs would do that to you. The other one was a sinner far away. Yes, we talk about that and we celebrate the stories all the time when a sinner returns home. Most of the time the church don't have a problem with that. We have a problem with getting out of our, getting out of our own way. And why did I share the story with you? Because listen, the audience that Jesus was talking to about this story was not sinners. He wasn't talking about the sinners. He was talking to a bunch of Pharisees. And he created the ultimate sinner they would have had a problem with. And they forgot and missed the fact that the older brother had a just as a bad issue as the ultimate sinner. Jesus wasn't even trying to bring attention to the sinner. He was trying to get them to see their own issue. Your issue is you're in the house, but you don't know who you are. 
And what am I trying to land us on today? I want you to hear me, hear me clearly. This new covenant is about identity. It's about knowing who you are in Christ. And I want you to understand you're no longer slaves. You're no longer enslaved to the letter of the law. You are now, as the Bible says, slaves to righteousness. You have been made completely free. You've been given complete forgiveness. You have been made righteous in Christ Jesus. And no longer do you have to keep the letter of the law. You don't have to work to prove your faithfulness to God. God has done the work. It is finished. It is on the cross. It was nailed to the cross. It was buried in the grave and it did not get up. The Bible says that when Jesus got up, you got up. When he died, you died. When he came up new, you came up new. Guess what? In Christ, all your past is gone. In Christ, all your sins have been forgiven. In Christ, your history has been erased. Amen. And we got to get back to this truth that is grace for us now. I know this is a long message, but hey, we were talking about covenants. <laughs> I dare you to find a preacher that can preach on covenants in 30 minutes. It'll never happen. If you don't get anything else, hear this. You are God's beloved. You belong to the Lord. You are his. Amen? And every promise that comes to Jesus, every promise that he made through Jesus is now yours. You have access to every good thing that God has promised. Amen? Can you stand with me? We'll close out. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.